Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, for you and for the forgiveness of your sins. God fills us with his love, and it overflows in an abundant way as the people of God that he has called us to be. From Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, this is Proclaiming the One with Pastors Clint Poppy and Adam Moline. This is Proclaiming the One. Welcome once again. We're glad to have you with us. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, short-timer Vicar Daniel Golden, and almost Vicar Timothy Steele. We, he's listening, but we're not going to let him talk. Uh, so that's that's always the best way to have Vickers participate in this program. But uh, So we're, uh, we're four-manning it today. Can I say that? I suppose I should say we're four-personing it today that better if we want to be politically correct well we have to be politically correct in this cancel culture if you uh, if you listen to the radio station and hear the uh, word fitly spoken one of their most recent episodes was on cancel culture and uh, it's really good really clever and uh, they said a lot of uh, not only provocative but a lot of really really good things so check that out and uh, we're glad to have you with us today each week we come together we take a look at the upcoming readings for our sunday divine service today we're going to be looking at the readings for the eighth sunday after trinity in a sense uh it is reformation a little bit early the uh the readings here today give a a a very much church militant uh, that means fighting, uh, church militant, when hopefully not fighting with each other, but fighting against the forces that are constantly attacking the church, the devil, the world, and our own sinful flesh. So if you hear a little bit of a uh, Reformation feel or theme, vibe, whatever you want to call it in our uh, readings for today, that's intentional. That's intentional. And... Um, uh, this is, uh, I don't know, are you going to be here next week, Vicar, to record? Yes, sir. Okay, so this is your penultimate time on uh, on proclaiming the one. If you don't know what that means, uh, you probably didn't have to study Greek. But uh, it means second to last, second to last. Uh, many times the accent is on the penultimate syllable, the second to last, which is uh, crazy for Americans to get through their head, like me. That's why I um, barely made it through greek class but uh thankfully the lord is gracious the old or the uh, gospel reading for the eighth sunday after trinity matthew 7 15 to 23 jesus is speaking this is toward the end of the sermon on the mount and all i can say folks is if you're driving down the car make sure you are buckled up when you hear these words vicar jesus said beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your your name? 
and do many mighty works in your name. And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Wow, it's almost hard to say this is the gospel of the Lord. Uh, even though it's recorded in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7, because there is very, very little good news in uh, in that reading. Jesus is speaking some very, very harsh words, harsh words of warning. And, uh, Pastor, when when Jesus starts out, he, uh, I mean, he uses lots of figurative image uh language in this text but when he starts out he makes it very very clear what he's talking about he says beware of false prophets what's the big deal here pastor what why should we be where or on guard for false prophets well we should beware and be on guard because they're everywhere seeking to destroy our faith so that we can end up in hell, whether they realize they're doing that or not, uh, spreading false gospels, false messages that uh, lead God's people astray. Oftentimes they do so very innocently. They do so uh, probably not even knowing that they're doing it and uh, thinking that they're doing good. But um, basically anytime they preach or teach a word of, that is not matched up with what God's word actually says, they're doing that very thing. And so this really has a second commandment sort of uh, understanding behind it here. Um, remember, or I'm um, sorry, do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, which means we should fear and love God so that we do not curse, swear, use satanic arts, lie or deceive by God's name, but instead use it properly. It'd be the way that Kuhlman would say it, right? Uh, and so that's what this is all about, this particular uh, text. So is Jesus only talking about pastors? Because you, you talked about people who preach and teach falsely. Is is this a warning for false or bad pastors, or is it bigger than that? Well, I'd say it's bigger than that. I mean, primarily that'd be where we look first. Um, but, uh, you know, any person that preaches or teaches or says anything that doesn't match God's word can be guilty of what Jesus is warning here. Um, and the truth is, really, if we even said something that was not quite right and were unrepentant about it, we would fall into this category as well. Okay. Now, in order for us to beware of false prophets, that implies that we need to do some discerning, um, maybe even judging with regard to what the prophets are teaching and preaching. Is that correct? Yeah, that is. And I think, you know, behind this, and I'm sure this is maybe where you're going, so not to uh, jump ahead here. A good this pupil is... always anticipates where his teacher is going. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, this is why it's so important for members of any congregation or church or uh, uh, any Christian at all to be immersed in God's Word and to study God's Word regularly so that they can always be listening and comparing what is being said or taught by an individual to what God's Word actually says, uh, and be willing then, if there's something that doesn't match that, to kindly talk to the individual about that and say, here's what it sounded like you said, is that what you meant? And tell me how Scripture teaches that thing that you're saying. Uh, and to have that conversation. And so this is the job of every Christian uh, in every theological conversation that they have, whether it be with their pastor, 
uh, or whether it be with their uncle or even, you know, sweet grandma Sue, you know, you still have to make sure you're upholding God's word and its truth and purity. Okay. So here's my, here's my question. We have these words from Jesus, Matthew 7, verse 15, that says, beware of false prophets. In the same sermon, Sermon on the Mount, in the same chapter for us in Scripture, chapter 7, at the beginning of the chapter, about 13 or 14 verses prior to this, Jesus says, judge not, lest ye be judged. And we know how that... that uh, section of scripture is used, how you can't say anything critical about anybody. Um, is this a contradiction in scripture where Jesus uh, in one part of the sermon says, judge not lest ye be judged. And now he tells us to judge and to discern so that we can beware of false prophets. How do we put those two together, pastor? No. Um, when Jesus says judge not, he's, he's not saying that we can't uh, listen to people's theology and correct it. In fact, he would say the opposite. We're letting God's word be the judge. We're letting God's word be the rule by which we measure things. And it's not my opinion, you know. Um, this is what we already do as pastors, right? If it were up to Adam Moline, he would never, ever talk about um, living together before marriage because it's uncomfortable, it's awkward, and frankly, it doesn't make one hill of beans difference to me as an individual, right? Uh, but, and and uh, it's not a great way to get people to love you. Right, <laughs> right. But what's the reason that I do it? It's not. Um, it's because I'm not the judge. God is with his word. And so because his word teaches about this, I must talk about it if I'm going to represent God and be his ambassador in this congregation. And that's the reality then. I'm not judging it. I'm letting God's word speak for itself and saying the same thing that God says, and therefore I've taken myself out of the equation. It, uh, it's also the most loving thing to do to speak God's word in its truth and purity, even in difficult situations, as humanly uh, impossible as it is at many times. You know this as a pastor, and many people listening here, too, know this, that when their kids or grandkids or nieces or nephew are, are doing something that's contrary to the word of God, do you risk speaking the word of God and messing up the Thanksgiving dinner table, or do you uh, speak God's word clearly in love because you don't want that individual to harm their faith and ultimately go to hell. That's what we're talking about here. Right. Not and I, not to toot my own horn, but uh, we, we did preach a sermon about this for July 5th when we were uh, at the fourth Sunday of Trinity, and so you could take a look at that on our uh, podcast page. Okay, yeah, that's not tooting your own horn. That's just pointing people to the Word of God. Okay, so now we have lots of figurative speech. And Jesus does this a lot because he, he knows how to talk. He knows how to teach. He captures our imagination. He, uh, in a sense, kind of sucks us in by his marvelous teaching methods and uh, languages. He refers to a false prophet as someone who comes to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. We talk about this all the time. This is a, this is a very common idiom in the English language, a wolf in sheep's clothing. How is a false prophet often, now we're not talking about blatant false prophets that just uh, speak nonsense and against Christ's church. They're false prophets too, but they're not the kind of prophets Jesus is talking about. Here we have someone who is a wolf in sheep's clothing. What's that picture metaphor trying to teach us? Well, um, 
It's saying we can't just look at the outward appearance of things, but we actually have to use our ears and our um, our eyes and be discerning, right? Uh, so we might have a guy who looks really friendly, who dresses the right way, who uh, uh, smiles all the time and tells little jokes and high fives your kids and things like that. But uh, if they are not preaching the truth of God's word, if they're not upholding God's name in their doctrine, then they are ultimately putting your faith at risk, or, or as Jesus says, they're the wolf uh, seeking to devour you so that you may not enter into God's eternal kingdom. And so this is the very thing we have to be on guard on all the time, and this is why we do need to listen and know God's word and compare what's being taught to God's word, because that's the only thing that distinguishes between the two. The sheep hear Christ's voice and they know him, uh, and that's what we listen to as well. We listen for Christ's voice, not the individual pastor. Pastor, uh, we're getting close to break. A wolf in sheep's clothing is intentionally trying to deceive the sheep so that he can eat and consume and devour a sheep. Does Jesus really mean that? Do, do false prophets actually do that? Yes. And uh, it might not seem that way, but that's the truth, right? So many false prophets that uh, come across as nice Christians or whatever in their outward appearance are actually in it for themselves uh, to make money, to get power, prestige, to be looked up to, uh, even silly little things like that. And... Um, avoiding the conflict, right, uh, in what they say, rather than letting God's word do its work, that's ultimately also to, uh, you know, build themselves up in the end. Look how good I am at avoiding conflict and things like that. So, yes, it is intentional. Okay, we're going to build on that when we come back from our break. This is Proclaiming the One. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNA. LP 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska. He through baptismal grace our souls is of his wondrous salvation. Will we but to his name to tell? Yet he Built on the rock, the church must stand. That rock is Jesus Christ, his perfect life, his obedient death, and his glorious resurrection. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. little uh, Reformation feel as we look at the readings for the eighth Sunday after Trinity. We're continuing our look at the gospel reading for Trinity 8, Matthew 7, 15 to 23. Jesus has some uh, very, very harsh words of warning with regard to false prophets. He tells us to beware of them. They are like ravenous wolves, hungry wolves, evil, deceitful, treacherous wolves, wearing sheep clothing, seeking whom they may devour. Uh, Vicar, there, there are a couple of uh, little word pictures that Jesus uses here with regard to giving an illustration 
with regard to false prophets uh, as ravenous wolves in sheep's clothing. He's kind of mixing his metaphors, I suppose we would say. And uh, he all of a sudden makes a shift from sheep and wolves to the agricultural scene. What, uh, what kind of agricultural pictures is Jesus using? Well, grapes certainly don't grow from thorn bushes. He's asking a rhetorical question there. And figs certainly do not grow th- from thistles. And healthy trees bear good fruit, not bad fruit. Diseased trees bear bad fruit and not good fruit. It's, it's almost common sense. Yeah, it, 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 it's very common sense. And that's why Jesus uses these word pictures, because they are such common sense. Everybody gets it. Everybody gets it. And um, what do grapes and figs have in common? Grape, they're both fruit. They're both fruit. Keep going. They both nourish the body. They both nourish the body. They feed you. They keep you alive. How about this? They're both sweet. Ah. They're tasty. They're refreshing. You know, um, when, uh, when I was uh, a kid, and then I passed this on to my kids and grandkids as well, when, uh, when I was a punk kid and I wanted some candy, my mom would give me grapes and say, this is nature's candy, and I didn't know any better. You know, of course, back in the olden days, every grape had a seed in it. Now, kids nowadays don't even get the joy of uh, having to spit out the grape seeds. There's still cherries. There you go. Yeah, but that's not in our text. Um, so, but thank you for that, Pastor. I really appreciate that. Okay, so Jesus is using this word picture here, and then he he uh, he starts out with the sheep and the wolves, and then he moves to the figs and the grapes, and then all of a sudden he's talking about diseased trees and healthy trees. Pastor, am I getting this right? Is Jesus calling a false prophet a diseased tree? Yes. Wow. Wow. Why? Well, um, because diseased trees produce diseased fruit uh, or rotten fruit or bad fruit. And the same thing with false teachers. Um, Ultimately, the people that follow their words and listen to their messages end up being diseased themselves. And that disease that we're speaking of here is uh, unrepentant sin and false doctrine that leads to eternal damnation and hell. And so that's the thing we have to be aware of if we go back above. Uh, That's the same thing we're talking about in the last section. And diseased fruit would not be refreshing and nourishing and sweet. It would hurt you, harm harm you, and potentially, if you ate enough of it or if it was diseased badly enough, it would kill you. The uh, bottom line there is uh, in verse 20, where Jesus concludes this thought by saying, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Pastor, I want to I build on that just a little bit, because earlier you talked about the pastor that was nice to the kids and high-fiving people and you know, just had a, had a real winsome personality. When I think of the fruit of an individual, a lot of times those are the kind of things I think about. If they're nice, if they're kind, if they're gentle, if they're friendly. And you made it sound like those are not the kind of fruits that Jesus is talking about. Can you, can you help us identify the specific kind of fruit that Jesus is talking about? Because he very clearly 
says, you will recognize them by their fruit. Right. Um, we could talk about all sorts of things, right, that uh, show us that a person is a false teacher, but it all comes down to using God's name wrongly, specifically in regards to their teaching and their doctrine. So, you know, maybe the big things that are real easy to see are, do they believe in the Holy Trinity or not? If they don't believe in the Holy Trinity, then they've denied the reality of who God is and everything that they teach and and say built on the wrong God is still built on the wrong God. So if they baptize in the name of the mother and the daughter in the womb, it's not a baptism because it's not actually the real God that they're speaking of. We could uh, talk about the two natures of Christ, right? And if they deny that, then they've changed who God is again. Uh, we could even get into the more detailed things that are a little bit more hard for us to see and discern uh, because they get to be a little bit more hidden. But, you know, how are you uh, saved? Is it by your works or is it by Christ's works? Uh, what do you believe about baptism? Is it God's work or your work? Uh, what's present that you're eating in the Lord's Supper, right? So these things all, we want to have the message that we hear match what the Scripture says, but so often we hear people uh, explain these things away or change what Scripture says to meet the meet our own needs, and that's where this dangerous uh, false teaching comes in. One of the things that I've discovered in the last 40 years is that there are many Christians that uh, agree with us uh, as Bible-believing Lutherans with regard to how salvation is achieved, the perfect life, obedient death, and glorious resurrection of Jesus. But there are subtle differences and false teachings with regard to how salvation is received. Infant baptism is denied. The real presence of Christ's body and blood in the supper, as you mentioned, is denied. The fact that a pastor can actually, with words, forgive sins. And uh, this is very, very deceptive for many of our people. Or that you need to do good works to stay in the faith. That you have to prove your your faith by your sanctifi- sanctified living. Uh, these are, are sometimes subtle. They're not all that subtle. You can see them. They are fruit. They are out there. But for the person sitting in the pew, sometimes these things aren't as easily recognizable. And this is where we need to teach our people that they are to judge their shepherds. They have been given this command by Jesus. They are the ones that are to hold their their leaders, their pastors, their teachers accountable. And the only way they can do that is if they know what God's word says. And if they don't know what God's word says, they forfeited that right to judge their shepherd. And lots of times these false teachers try to hide that under things that are trendy or hip. You know, for example, um, we have the uh, congregation that does the Beatles mass and sets the words of institution to, uh, you know, the song Hey Jude and change it from Hey Jude to Hey Zeus took the bread uh, and took the cup or whatever. And these things are taking then the focus off of Jesus. And it maybe is really subtle, but it is false teaching in that way because our focus becomes on something else. And therefore, it is bad fruit that can hurt and kill our faith. I'm not saying it will, right? I could eat a bunch of bad grapes and survive, but it holds great potential to do great harm. One of the presidents of the United States, I believe it was Zachary Taylor, ate a bowl of rotten cherries and died. One bowl of rotten cherries 
on a hot summer afternoon, and he died. So is it possible for someone to eat bad fruit and immediately die for their faith immediately to be quenched? Yes. And so that's why these words of warning cannot be tempered in any way, shape, or form. Pastor, at the end of our text, uh, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Is he talking about some kind of works righteousness, doing the will of the Father? Is that how we know for sure we're going to go to heaven? Well, um, in a way, yes. What he's saying is it's not just because you call out to God and think you're calling out to the right God that you get to be in heaven. In fact, it's not because you call out to God at all that you get to be in heaven, but rather the one who does the will of the Father uh, is the way that you get into heaven, and that's speaking about himself there, about Jesus. And so the reason that I'm going to be saved is not because I invited Jesus into my heart before I was baptized. It's not because I pray uh, really profoundly outward and wave my hands around or speak in gobbledygook, you know, uh, should have bought a Nissan, could have bought a Honda, you know, sort of stuff like that. It's all because Jesus went to the cross and bled and died for me and gave me that gift in baptism and the Lord's Supper and through his word and has created and sustained faith within me. He's the one who's righteous. He's the reason that I get into heaven. I'm old enough to remember when Nissans were Datsuns, so that gives you uh, my age here. That would work, too. Should have bought a Datsun, <laughs> could have bought a Honda. <laughs> um, on that day, many, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Um, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. These are as harsh a warning as Jesus can possibly give people who think they are doing a favor for God, people who think they are doing the Lord's work, and they're going to spend eternity in hell. How can we be sure, as pastors and hearers, how can we be sure that we are heeding the words of Jesus' warning? Well, we always have to take everything that's said and compare it to God's Word and make sure it matches up, and we need to hold each other accountable to that. It's not about—we're not saved because we keep our doctrine perfect, but— not having perfect doctrine can hurt our faith, and that's what we need to do. And so we need to look only to the promises and gifts of Christ for our salvation, and anything that subtracts or takes away from that we need to be wary of, and uh, we need to follow God's Word, not the individual pastor. Uh, don't don't just follow somebody like Nadia Boltz-Weber because she's famous. Um, follow someone because they preach and teach God's Word and its truth and purity, and when they make a mistake, and they will, talk to them about it, and you know, they'll repent, hopefully, and then um, you can continue to listen to just God's word and its truth and purity. Second commandment. This is, in the large catechism, Luther says this is the biggest part of the second commandment, pure teaching and doctrine. Uh, that's the way we use God's name properly. And this is how God's name is hallowed when we pray, uh, hallowed be thy name in the Lord's prayer as well. When his word is taught in its truth and purity and the gifts of God are administered according to the command and promise of God. Dear hearers, read your Bible, study your Bible, immerse yourself in God's word, read Luther's small catechism, memorize it as you have that mastered and Quite frankly, everything that you need to know is in some way, shape, or form contained in that digested uh, teaching of the catechism. Move on to the confessions of the Lutheran Church. Uh, start with the Augsburg Confession. And as you learn and digest these for yourself, have questions for your pastor, impress them upon your children, this is how you grow in the faith, this is how you remain solid in the faith, and quite frankly, this is the only way that you can defect, detect 
counterfeit or false teaching coming out of the mouth of your leaders in the church. We need to take a break. Proclaiming the one, eighth Sunday after Trinity. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden, almost Vicar Steele. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Come check us out. We gather each Sunday at 8 and 1030 for divine service. We have family Bible study right now, 930 in the Fellowship Hall. We also worship every Wednesday at 630. And uh, starting in the middle of August, we're going to have our adult choir back up and running, and that'll be gathering after the Wednesday evening service. So uh, come and make a joyful noise unto the Lord. That'll be great. And uh, you can listen to every one of our services live K-N-N-A-L-P 95.7 here in and around Lincoln. If you're outside of our listening area, you can check out our uh, radio website, thecross957.org, goodshepherdlincoln.org. We'll give you links to everything. And uh, you can also check out your favorite podcast provider where um, back issues as well as the archives on our websites for other programming and for uh, past issues of Proclaiming the One. The Old Testament reading for the 8th Sunday after Trinity, following on this theme of beware of false teachers that was set for us in Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount, Jeremiah 23, 16 to 23. Vicar? Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and to hear his word? Or who has paid attention to his word and listened? Behold, the storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of his heart. In the latter days, you will understand it clearly. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people, and they would have turned from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets, who prophesy lies, and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart, 
who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Wow, the hammer of God. If you ever wondered where that title came from in that great Bo Geertz classic, uh, it's from right here in Jeremiah 23, verse 23, the hammer of God. God's word is like a hammer. God's word is like a consuming fire. What has straw in common with wheat? I couldn't help but think about Jesus talking about uh, grapes from thorn bushes and figs from thistles. They don't have anything in common. One uh, feeds and nourishes. The other is, uh, well, you know, I suppose it's good for bedding, but uh, but it doesn't fill you up with anything. It would uh, kill you if you lived on a steady diet of straw. Um Pastor, there, there's so much in this text, and it is an awesome text. The, um, the place I want to start is here at the beginning in verse 16. The Lord, speaking through Jeremiah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, do not listen to the words of the prophets. Uh, they speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. This whole understanding of listening. This is very, very prominent in Scripture. Uh, One of the professors at the Fort Wayne Seminary uh, wrote a two-volume commentary basically based on that one word, uh, listening. And uh, that's where we get our word catechesis from, listening. So... um, Audio, that would be uh, the, uh, the uh, Greek uh, word from uh, uh, the text where that comes from. We are to be listeners. We are to be hearers, but we are to be, indis- or we are to be discriminate listeners and hearers. Pastor, what is Jeremiah warning the people of God against, and how is it the same coin, maybe a different side, but the same coin of Jesus' words of warning that we just talked about in Matthew 7. Well, it is the very same thing that Jesus is warning, and that's listening to false prophets, false teachers. And so maybe a little bit of um, context here. Jeremiah is uh, prophesying and preaching towards the end of the kingdom of Judah, uh, the probably 590 uh, BC and the the city of Jerusalem is going to fall in 586, and so we're real close to the end of it. And what's happened is Jeremiah has uh, been arrested and beaten by the chief high priest of the Jerusalem temple, the guy who's supposed to be the spiritual leader for the people of Israel. Arrested Jeremiah, flogged him, put him in stocks outside the city gate, uh, the gate of Benjamin, and then released him again. And uh, Jeremiah immediately prophesies that Nebuchadnezzar is going to destroy Jerusalem. And again, uh, the same high priest then tells him to shut up and doesn't like this message. And so this is then what spurns Jeremiah to... That's never happened to you, has it? People tell you to shut up because they don't like the law that comes from your mouth. (laughs) 
I, no comment. <laughs> uh, I mean, but that's the reality, right? And that's what we are aware of. Jeremiah is speaking the truth, and the institutional uh, religious authorities say, shut up, we don't like what you're saying. It's not popular. It's not hip. Uh, you're saying that we're sinners. You're saying that we need to repent. That's uncool, and uh, it's going to hurt our giving. It's going to hurt our finances, things like that. And they're telling him to be quiet, but Jeremiah won't. He says, uh, you can't listen to these fake prophets that are all happy, clappy, uh, everything will be fine, rainbows and sunshines, uh, you know, coming out of your ears. Sunshine, lollipops. And that's, yeah. Instead, he's saying, listen to what God's word actually says, and that's what I'm telling you here. Listen to the truth as God proclaims it through his word. Vicar, uh, Jeremiah goes on and he's talking about people that they only want to listen to what they want to hear. They only want to listen to the prophets who say what they want to hear. That sounds pretty familiar. It sounds like some of uh, Paul's exhortation to Timothy with regard to people who surround themselves with an ear problem. What kind of ear problem am I talking about here? Uh, the the ear problem of those in Timothy that they're preaching to, oh, they just scratch their ear to so whatever whatever makes their ear feels good feel good for the moment. Yes, people who surround themselves with teachers who say what their itching ears want to say uh, or want to hear. Uh, that that is uh, it's it's not a new problem. It's been around since golly, Adam and Eve in the Garden of. Um, I almost said Gethsemane, in the Garden of Eden. Uh, in verse 24, we have a uh, uh, kind of an allusion to Adam and Eve, don't we, Pastor? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him? Doesn't it sound an awful lot like Adam and Eve trying to hide from the Lord in the Garden? It does, and I think it's maybe worthwhile as we acknowledge that to point out what the purpose was behind Adam and Eve hiding behind fig leaves. They're trying to fix the problem they've created by themselves, and God sees right through that and says, you can't fix it, only I can, and then covers them with skins from a dead animal, just as uh, this is foretelling that uh, the way we're actually saved is not by our fixing the situation, but rather by the death of the Son of God on the cross and his resurrection and giving us that gift. Uh, through the word. There's so much more that we could talk about. I want to look at uh, verse 20 here as we uh, finish out this segment. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of his heart. Pastor, how is that word until the sweet gospel almost uh, all summed up in one tiny little word? Again, this is pointing ahead to Jesus Christ and his crucifixion and his resurrection. And that moment is how the wrath of God is um, ended. Uh, you know, Christ drinks the cup of God's wrath as he goes to the cross. He drinks it fully and completely, and uh, it dies with him on the cross. And now we get the cup of life given to us in the Lord's Supper, where we drink Christ's blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And so that's a great promise for us. This uh, until is really the key to the Christian understanding why God must preach through his prophets, through his assigned uh, men in the office of the Holy Ministry, the harsh, condemning law of God. The anger of God is real. The anger of God is against sin. And what do sinners do? Sinners sin. 
We can try to run from it. We can try to hide from it. We can surround ourselves with people who won't speak it, but that does not change the will of God. There is only one thing that changes the anger of God, and that is the complete sacrifice for all sin. Jesus drinks the dregs. The cup of wrath is poured out on him instead of on you. The law, the anger of God until God has accomplished what is in his will. His will is not the condemnation of anyone. His will is the salvation of all. That's why he sends Jesus. And that is why he continues to send faithful preachers into his word. Pastor, quickly, if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words. How does a prophet, a pastor, a layman stand in the counsel of God? Well, the only place we get God's counsel is through his word itself. And so uh, I love the way Paul says it when he talks about things in the New Testament, most uh, importantly and and probably clear to our minds uh, when he talks about the institution of the Lord's Supper. How does he say it? What I received, I now pass on to you. And that's the very way that a preacher actually preaches the counsel of God. First, they must receive it through the hearing of God's word. If you don't know it, you can't believe it. And if you don't know it and believe it, you certainly cannot speak it. Not with authority, not with conviction, not so that others will hear and believe. Uh, Awesome, awesome text. And uh, sadly, we got to take another break. When we come back, we'll take a look at our readings for the eighth Sunday after Trinity. This is Proclaiming the One. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNA. LP 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, a couple of vicars, two for the price of one today, uh, outgoing Vicar Golden, hopefully incoming Vicar Steele. We haven't scared him away yet. We're looking at the readings for the eighth Sunday after Trinity. We've talked many times on this program how the epistle reading is a practical application of the themes that we've had in our other two readings. The gospel sets the stage. Really, you know, it's the introit that prepares us. The gospel sets the stage. The Old Testament supports that uh, theme. And then the second reading, the epistle reading, is the uh, practical application. Sometimes in the one-year series, there's an option because there's just so much of God's Word and you want to try to get as much out there to the people as possible. And that's what we're going to be looking at with our second reading. It's not really an epistle, but our second reading is from the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, Pastor Moline, who was sleeping, is now wide awake because this is his favorite book of the Bible. 
I shouldn't say that, but it's one of your favorites, isn't it? Well, I think it's an important book because it teaches us that the church uh, in the ancient world uh, that's recorded in the book of Acts is not really any different than our Lutheran church today. It centers around preaching and the words uh, of Jesus, as well as the administration of the sacraments. And, you know, there's been lots of, here in America, restoration movement churches that want to go back to the ancient way of doing things in the church. And the reality is the Lutherans have been doing it all along. And uh, you bring that out beautifully in your preaching and teaching uh, on the book of Acts, and uh, thank you for that. Book of Acts is a book that a lot of Lutherans shy away from because uh, sometimes the signs and wonders uh, scare them, and you have, uh, you have been a great blessing not only here at Good Shepherd but for the church at large, uh, dispelling that myth and uh, encouraging people to be in this particular book of the Bible because it is so Lutheran. Vicar. Acts 20, 27 to 38, the optional second reading for the eighth Sunday after Trinity. Paul said, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure... Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. You know, it's pretty easy to see how this uh, is a practical application of everything that we've heard so far. Uh, this is uh, a part of uh, Paul's farewell um, am I am I correct in that, Pastor? Yes, uh, he's headed down to Jerusalem, uh, and he has a pretty good idea what's going to happen to him there. Those who are his theological enemies are going to have him arrested. In fact, uh, he'll go and visit the Jerusalem temple and uh, be accused of being a Gentile and bringing Gentiles into the temple courts, get arrested, uh, and uh, this is the starts his long imprisonment where he appeals eventually to Caesar and uh, slowly taken to Rome uh, and likely meets his death after having been in front of Nero Caesar at some point. These, uh, these words would be very, very appropriate, not only for a farewell sermon for a pastor to preach on, but uh, also for an ordination, because uh, they very, very clearly lay out what's ahead for a pastor. Uh, at the very beginning, Paul says, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Two things there, Pastor. Why would a pastor shrink 
from his calling or his duty, and what does it mean to preach and teach the whole counsel of God? Well, uh, to preach and teach the whole counsel of God means to say everything that God's Word says and to speak it in all times and places and not add to it or subtract from it, but let it stand on its own merits. Uh, a pastor would oftentimes shrink from that because that's not a very popular or uh, friend-winning message. It's it's not, nowhere in the book how to win friends and influence people to uh, preach the gospel because it doesn't work. Um, it, Paul hasn't shrunk from it. He's been very brave and bold, especially, for example, here in Ephesus, where not very long before that, there was a riot in the city because the silversmiths who made miniature models of the uh, Greek-Roman god Artemis, uh, which was the uh, the main god for the city of Ephesus, they had uh, stirred the whole town up into rioting, which we're kind of familiar with now. They're burning buildings uh, and shouting and, and destroying things. And uh, it's all about Paul bravely preaching the word, uh, and he'd continue to do so even in the face of this rioting and, and preached and taught. And now he's going to Jerusalem to continue to preach and teach, knowing that he'll be arrested and sent away, uh, and even that this will probably be the last time he sees these people in Ephesus, he's being very bold and not shrinking from preaching the gospel, even though there will be worldly, earthly consequences for it. Absolutely. And uh, Paul gives a warning here because uh, he's leaving, and he has uh, tirelessly taught the gospel to them, and he tells them what happens, what will happen as soon as he leaves. Fierce wolves, false prophets, are going to come in from the outside. And here's the really scary part where he says, also, wicked men will arise from among you among your own selves, men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So we've got forces attacking the church from the outside. We have forces rising up from inside the visible assembly to attack the truth of God's word. And pastor, we've seen this happen um, on numerous occasions where you have a faithful congregation led by a faithful pastor. He's been there 10, 20, 30 years, and he takes a call, or he retires, or he dies. And in a matter of months, the congregation is falling apart, not, not because of uh, you know the color of the carpet or something like that, but false teachings arise, false practices arise very, very quickly. And it's like 30, 20, 15 years of faithful ministry is gone. C.F.W. Walther in his sermon for the eighth Sunday after Trinity said, this is not the pastor's fault when this happens. The people have grown lazy the people have believed the word because it came from someone they respected rather than believing it and inculcating it into their heart. They have not searched the scriptures. They have not studied the scriptures. They have not made the word of God their own and passed it on faithfully to their children. What do you think about that? Do you agree with Luther or Walter's assessment? I think that happens a lot of times. And, uh, you know, when a pastor serves for a place for 40 years and has confirmed the parents and the child, uh, you know, they kind of have a special cult following, uh, and God won't allow that. And so God works that sometimes so that people 
realize the truth that it's actually Jesus that we follow and worship. And so don't worship at the altar of Poppy. Uh, Don't worship at the much smaller and not as good looking altar of Moline, but instead worship only at the feet of Jesus because he alone is the one who will save you. Uh, Poppy, Moline, Golden, and all the rest are replaceable. And we we should never, ever forget that and uh, let Christ be the Lord and no one else. That is extremely important. I'm always an advocate of long pastorates. I mean, I've been here 23 years, and I think that's a great, great benefit for the people of God. But when a pastor sees or feels this kind of cult following happening, that people are clinging to the personality or persona of the pastor rather than the word of God. The pastor, a faithful pastor, needs to leave, needs to uh, seek out a call and let the Holy Spirit call him to another place. This is what a faithful pastor does for the sake of the hearers. Pastor, in verse 31 of Acts chapter 20, therefore be alert. How is the Christian... To be alert. We hear a lot of this alert talk uh, on the first two Sundays of Advent. We hear a lot of this alert talk in the last Sundays of the church here. What is Paul meaning, again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, admonishing the people to be alert? Be in the Word. Be prepared for the false teachers with the Word. That's the uh, the best response we have to false preachers is to continue to uh, administer the Word properly, to study it and to question it. Uh, and so know the Word inside and out. Read, learn, and inwardly digest it. That's the only way we can be ready for false teaching. You've probably heard this a time or two on this program. <clears throat> the Word, the Word, the Word. This is what our call is to preach and teach. This is what our call is as Christians to hear and believe. We are to inwardly digest that word, uh, and uh, we don't do it so that we can flaunt our great learning and be jerks about it. No, God's word teaches us here that we should work hard. We should help the weak, remembering uh, that it is better to give than to receive. All of these things are fruits that flow from a faithful hearing and believing of the Word of God. Vicar, you want to bring things to a close by praying the collect of the day for the eighth Sunday after Trinity. Let us pray. Grant to us, Lord, the Spirit to think and do always such things as are right, that we, who cannot do anything that is good without you, may be enabled by you to live according to your will. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. 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 Thank you for tuning in today to Proclaiming the One. Um, We do this every week, and uh, you can check out our archives as well. We pray that uh, our teaching has been a great blessing for you. Uh, Share this uh, program with your family and friends this Sunday morning when you wake up. Drink your coffee. Read your newspaper. Try not to get too depressed when you do that. Pray for your pastors, especially during these trying times. And most of all, go to church where you can hear the word, the word, the word. God's richest blessings in Christ. We'll see you again next week.